You're listening to American Grit, America's raw and uncensored podcast. My name's Tim Jensen. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and co-owner of Grunstyle Apparel. And we're here to talk about all the bullshit mainstream media won't touch with a stick by sharing information that directly impacts our community, our well-being, and our destiny as Americans. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of American Group with your host, Tim Jensen. I have a special guest with us today, a former Marine, a hard-charging, ass-kicking motherfucker right here, Trevor Reed. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. How's it going? Good. How's it, how's it, how is it being back in the great United States of America? It's great, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't describe to you how great it is. It's, oh, I it's bet. wonderful. I bet. So you and I uh, met uh, about uh, two months ago. Uh, through a great, uh, a, a mutual friend, uh, we'll keep his name uh, quite secret. Uh, he's a he's a good fellow. You have a very bit of uh, interesting past, interesting story, right? Uh, a lot of things have happened to you over the course of three years, and uh, I find it completely intriguing. And when we had met for lunch, I just I just couldn't believe the stories I was hearing, and I had to say like, people need to know this. People need to know. Uh, the story of Trevor Reed. People, people need to know uh, what what happened, right? And uh, most importantly, as we're all being you know gaslit by how fucked up Russia is and what they're doing in Europe, uh, I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about how really fucked up Russia is and on the inside. Um, so, what's uh, what's your story, man? In 2019, I. Uh traveled to Russia to see my girlfriend and to study Russian language uh, for my university. And uh, one night went out, drank with her and some friends, uh, got pretty shit-faced. Sure, sure. Woke up the next day in the police station, not under arrest, not detained or anything. Uh, They said, you know, you're too drunk and uh, we let you sleep here on the floor on the office and you can go. But I waited for my ride, and at that time, the shift changed. Uh, <laughs> no way. Yeah, at the police station, and uh, the new police chief uh, came in there and said, you know, why is there an American here? He heard me speaking English, the uh, like duty officer. And I said, oh, he was in here drunk. He slept on the floor, and you know, that's it. He's gone home. And I said, yeah, you can't leave. So after that, they called the FSB to come interrogate me, you know, found out that I was a Marine. And after that, I had a pretty good feeling of what was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, really? Really? So a series of unfortunate events, right? Yeah, you could say that. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely unfortunate. Maybe, you know, you can think back and like, say, if I had left earlier or if I was speaking Russian. Yeah. Right, you can what if this thing to death. Oh yeah. Right. But ultimately what happened is you went to prison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, not la- I'm not laughing uh, at you or like I'm not, I'm not laughing at the situation. What I'm laughing at is the ridiculousness oh, yeah. of this relationship oh, yeah. that these two countries are having. Right. Absolutely. Uh, right. And, and we're about to get into some really interesting things over the course of the next hour here uh, talking about you know, what, how ridiculous it is, right? Um, how, how you were treated inside the system. I'm sitting across from a Russian mafia member, right? That's the first, that's the first time for me. Former. Yeah. <laughs> Former. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, blood in, blood out, right? <laughs> but, you know, I think these are all interesting things, right? And, you know, so if we cock it back a little bit uh, to the beginning, right? 
you know, uh, your former Marine, right? Uh, right. Who did you serve with when you were in the Marine Corps? Uh, first, I was at uh, 8th and I Guard Company in Washington, D.C. After that, I uh, got a security clearance, so I was selected for Presidential Guard uh, detail. Went to Camp David. I was there with Marine Security Company. And uh, after that, duty was was over. I transferred to 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines mm -hmm. at Camp Pendleton. And uh, after... After that, I got out, and shortly after that, I went and worked on contract uh, with Academy, Constellus mm -hmm. Group, uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, with uh, the U.S. State Department Diplomatic Security Service. Nice, nice. So, you have a, uh, a pretty interesting background, right? military, contracting, uh, conflicts inside of uh, you know, the last 20 years that America has been involved in. So I can see that being a, a, a point of interest for uh, the, the, the Russian government. Um, but, you know, so you go to visit your girlfriend right. in, in Russia, right? Um, was she living there at the time or was she there in school? How, like, what, was it something that you're, uh, she was there for a short period of time? Like, walk, that, walk us through that. She lived in... Uh Russia permanently, so she lived in Moscow. She was uh, studying law there, mm -hmm. and uh, we had like a long distance relationship. So I would only see her probably every six months. Mm -hmm. She would come and stay with me um, in the U.S. And I went once before to meet her in Russia and stayed there for like I think about a month. Yeah. Um, no issues on that first pass. Right? No, everything was fine the first time, but. That was a lot. So, like, the relationship between the U.S. and Russia had, like, significantly deteriorated by by the point that I went there the second time. So, that was over, like, a few years, actually. So, you go to Russia. You're visiting your girlfriend. Have good times. Uh, you go out and have a couple. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm like, what is studying Russia? Uh, what, is the, what is studying law in Russia? What does that look like? I would say that that's probably like the most useless profession in Russia. <laughs> so. It's like a criminal, uh, what's that, what's the, yeah. what's the degree here in the United States that means nothing? Yeah. Uh, criminal justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, even more useless than that. Right, right. So. Well, don't worry. The government's going to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they have lawyers there, but I can't really figure out why. So yeah. you really don't need uh, a lawyer in Russia. They could just put you in prison and then send you like a letter that says, you know, you, we found you guilty and you're convicted. That would oh, be right. like a simpler process. So they mail that to you? Well, you they shouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. They make you go to like court and then have like a dog and pony show yeah. and then, then they convict you, but it's, uh, it's not, there's nothing real about it. So, right. so, so you want, uh, you know, what, what, you know, go to a bar and walk us through the evening. But then no, you can remember. Yeah, we went to uh, to like a park, yeah. and uh, we grilled up like what is that called? I guess it's like shish kebabs. Okay, nice in English, and uh, drank vodka there. And the deal is too is I did not drink that much. So I mean, I'm a marine; I can drink, sure. uh, you know, a good amount, <laughs> um, <laughs> as all marines can, but. I had only a couple of shots of this vodka. The deal that you have to understand about Russian vodka is that they have all over Russia, like basically like bootleg, you know, alcohol. Right. So you'll get it and we'll say like, you know, Smirnoff or whatever on it. 
but that's actually just like some moonshine that somebody cooked up and put in there. It might be like medical spirits. It might be like whatever, you know, that they've like stolen or like, you know, cooked up in like a car engine. But then they repackage that and then they sell it at the normal price. So like you could get a bottle of vodka that's like, you know, like maybe 95% alcohol or something. Right, right. And uh, you don't notice that until... You know, your blood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, until you're blind or you're a political prisoner. So. <laughs> All right. So you've been drinking at the park, grilling some kebabs, right? Right. You drink some some toilet vodka, and the next thing you know, you're on the floor of a police station, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. And then uh, then the situation turns completely sideways. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So they, you know, after they told me I couldn't leave, my girlfriend showed up there and she was like, "All right, let's go home." And I was like, "I can't. They're detaining me." Right. And, you know, she went over there and made a, made a big deal and said, like, for what? Like, why are you detaining him? And they said, he fought police here in the police station. And she said, when? And they said, last night. She said, I was with him last night here. Right. She said, this is BS. I want to see your cameras. They were like, no, no, we can't show you that. She said, I'm a lawyer. Like, you have to show me your cameras. So after that, they stopped talking to us. And... Uh, she went and called like a lawyer from her law firm, like a defense attorney to come. He went and talked to the cops for a little bit. And then he was like sweating. He was red, pacing back and forth. <laughs> so they're interrogating him at this point. Yeah, I could tell something was like not right there. So I was like, hey, are you good? Like, is everything okay? And he was like, everything's fine. I was like, listen, don't bullshit me. Like, what's going on? Right. And, uh, you know, he said, I think you're going to have a political issue. And I said, why, why do you think that? And he said, they called to the director of the FSB. And I was like, in this like region or whatever? And he said, no, of Russia, the director of FSB. And I said, do they, they normally do that? And he said, no, I think you're going to have a political problem. Right. So, and I did. So that guy was right, I guess. Wow. Right. So, you know, what, I don't understand how, like, how would, I'm sure there's plenty of Americans in Russia that oh, yeah. flow through that place on, on the regular, right? Sure. Um, why did they pick you up of, of crap? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously, like, U.S. government has their own opinions about that. They, you know, I don't know what, what their uh, actual, like, point of view is about that. But to me, and I could be completely wrong about this. I'm not, like, by no means an expert. But I think that... Once they learned that I was a Marine, that that was enough for them. They were like, oh, this is a guy that like we could use for something. Sure. Maybe. This is a guy that will like be valuable, maybe. And, uh, you know, they're not going to like lose any sleep about taking, you know, someone hostage if they're not valuable. They don't care if you just like sit there for 20 years or 10 right. years or whatever. They don't care about that. So if they think that you may be useful, they'll, they'll take you. Yeah. Political prisoner. Right. Yep. Uh, leveraged for whatever opportunity that they can manufacture, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And uh, so that, that, that puts you on the path of going before the magistrate, I'm imagining, and then, then what, they just throw you into the prison system? Yeah, there's like a, like an initial hearing when they first arrest you to say, like, are you going to be given house arrest or, like, or should we, like, put you... There, it's not even, like, a court, really, to determine, like, if we should, like arrest you yeah. it's like okay how are we going to arrest you and they immediately were like yeah well you're going to prison like everyone does so 
That was kind of a shock to me. I was yeah. like, "That what? That's it? That was the court?" And they're like, "Yeah, of course." What? <laughs> but this is all. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what was the feeling that you're like, "Oh shit! I just was convicted in Russia." Yeah. Well, well not convicted, but like imprisoned. Yeah. They were like, "You're going to prison," and I was like, "Uh oh, crap!" So you know, I hadn't thought like ever about Russian prison before. Right. It was right. like not going to Russia to commit crimes or anything. So right. like, never crossed my mind. And when I'm riding in there and like the transport to prison, I was like, you know, oh shit. Then I started thinking about like, what is Russian prison like? Probably not nice, right, right, you know. Right. And uh, long story short, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine uh, that it was a pleasant uh, place, right? You know, we think, you know, the, the images that come to mind for me when I think of Russian prison is like gulags. Having a political prisoners, you know, you know, haven't seen a, a beam of light in 15 years, um, you know, and you know from the conversations we've had before this podcast, uh, it was almost something like that to some to, to some degree, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, you but you also found yourself in in a, a position that I don't know, it's like I can't even, <laughs> I can't even like wrap my head around it, right? It's not even something that I, 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 I believe that I would read in a book. It's right. just so crazy and outlandish. Uh, you find yourself in the, you know, the, the Russian mafia. We are proud to introduce the Grunt Style Foundation, a nonprofit devoted to servicing our service members, veterans, and their families. It's an organization that is built on three pillars, honor, integrity, and advocacy. We recognize those who have courageously served our country, and we're ready to go to the very steps of power on their behalf. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. From providing veterans with affordable in-home therapy methods, to championing alternative therapies to combat traumatic brain injuries, toxic chemical or heavy metal exposures, and more. Our approach is holistic and aggressive. Wherever our community is in need, we are there. Our mission is ongoing and will remain with support from people like you. Make our mission your mission, and together we can turn the tide. Someone has to. Visit www.grunstylefoundation.org for more information and join the change today. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's another part of prison which I didn't really think about, um, you know, until until I was actually like about to go into the cell. I was like, oh shit! Like I'm about to be in Russian prison. Like, do they have gangs? Am I gonna have to like, you know? kill someone right now and uh when i got in there you know the other prisoners were like hey you know like what article do you have and like i spoke russian like not that good at that point but i could understand some things Mm -hmm. and i was like uh don't understand they're like what did you do and i was like what and they're like give us your indictment so i give them this paper and they read it and it says assault on police officers which, you know, I like would never be like bragging about that. Right. But uh, when they saw that, they this guy got a huge smile on his face and then he just reads it out to all the prisoners and they all stood up and came and showed right. my hand. Right. When you in, when you in Russian mafia, you celebrate beating police officers. <laughs> yeah, so they loved that shit. They were like, oh, wow, that's fucking great. You're American? And I was like, yeah. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Thanks for coming here and beating our cops up. So, so I was like, yeah, but I didn't actually do that. And they were like, well, 
that's fine, but when you go to other cells, tell them that you did. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so what's that, what do you mean by cell? What is that? Like a, yeah, so like your cell, you go in there and there's uh, there's like these uh, metal frame beds that sit in there. It's got like a foam pad. It's like about an inch, I guess. And uh, it's got like a metal table that sits in the middle with like bench seats. And there's a toilet in the, well, there may not be a toilet. There may be like a hole in the floor yeah. that has like, you can flush like water to like wash it out or whatever. Um, you've got like your metal cups and stuff. Basically it would look like a prison from like the United States, like 200 years ago. So oh, it looks yeah. like that. And uh, inviting. Yeah, bars on the windows. Yeah, nice place. And uh, how many uh, how many prisoners per cell? Yeah, so it depends um, on like what part of the prison you're in. So like uh, the block that I was in, it's called Spetz Block. So that's for special prisoners, and that's prisoners who are under the FSB. So mm -hmm. they're like FSB prisoners, basically. And uh, in those cells, there's from four to eight. Uh, prisoners per cell and then in the regular blocks the general blocks there's up to like I think 18 in that prison yeah. so they're they're a bit bigger a lot, of, a lot of violence inside the prisons no so surprisingly and that's that's actually what shocked me as I was asking other prisoners like uh, so when I like go to this other like block am I like gonna have to fight there or like are they gonna jump me in or like what's gonna happen and they're like no you don't use violence against other prisoners who are in the mafia. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, we have like the Russian mafia here. Like those are your brothers. You can't fight them. And I was like, uh, who's in the mafia? And they're like, all of us, you're a prisoner. Like you're in the mafia. Obviously there's some prisoners who are not in the mafia. And, uh, so it's like pedophiles, uh, uh, oh, so the mob there has dignity and standards as well. Well, <laughs> I guess it depends. So they, you know, that like uh, pedophiles, uh, if you're homosexual, you're not under mafia protection. Uh, if you are like a rat, there, there's all these crazy rules um, in there too. But basically, if you're not under mafia protection, that's some serious shit. What happens uh, to those people? Um, it would be like in U.S. prisons. So yeah. those guys get, you know, raped, murdered, beaten, you know, what all this. They're not raped by mob members. Oh no, yeah, by mafia members. Really, but yeah. but they but they don't offer protection to the gay, yeah, to the gay community. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? Reminds <laughs> <laughs> me, are we dealing yeah. with here, man? Yeah, so you can't be gay there. Uh, Unless but, you're in the mafia. Yeah, but if you're mafia and he's gay, then <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> Then that's fair game, I guess. So that's what I mean about there's, you know, their their code there is a little bit. Right, right, sure, sure. Yeah. They've got all these rules about what you have to do. There's all these traditions. Uh, they obviously have like different ranks of like mafia leaders, that type of deal. Um, it's like really extremely well organized. Really? Uh, yeah, like there's a mafia leader in every cell. There's a guy for every prison. There's a guy that's in charge of like money that they collect, like a treasurer, basically. Is there dues? Dues? Oh yeah, yeah. There's dues. Really? You have to pay if you're in there. Um, it's not very much, and they don't tell you like specifically how much you have to pay. They just say like if you have the ability to pay, you need to pay. Yeah. Uh, 
Are you able to take like withdrawals out? <laughs> no. So they they make all those yeah they make all those decisions for you. So that that money's used to buy like cigarettes, coffee, tea, drugs, yeah. uh, cell phones. Okay. So and those are spread out amongst the uh, yeah the inmates. Yeah. So those inmates will like go. At, so the mafia will like buy those basically, and then like they'll like oh, let, I see let yeah. guys purchase those. Right. So. They, you, you pay your dues to right. go buy uh, pokey bait. Right. Right. And then they sell the pokey bait back to you to take more of your money. <laughs> well, not, not completely. So, like, with the cell phones, it's kind of like, uh, that's kind of weird. But with the uh, with the, the food and, like, the tea and cigarettes and stuff, they, like, give that out for, yeah. for free, whatever. They just distribute that evenly. So, yeah. Surprisingly, you know, Russia doesn't have a democracy, but the Russian mafia does. They elect those guys. <laughs> they, they're elected positions? Yeah, they're elected positions. Oh, so. yeah. What, what does the primary look like? It's the Russian <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, not that different. Did, did, than did you go through an election cycle? If no. Because you were there for, what, 985 days? Yeah, I was there a long, long time. Um, so uh, the, the, the tenor... The tenure of a uh, a sitting position is longer than that. Yeah, well, yeah, it depends. Is there special elections? Uh, there is. There's like special elections and like special recalls. <laughs> Come so, on, yeah, God, this is great. This is great. They're not called that, but that's that's what they are. Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, all right. So uh, they're, they're extremely organized inside. Oh yeah, the Russian mafia. Okay, yep. and um, so. As as you're you're moving around, right, and people are learning more about you and you know, why you were there, you're starting to become talked about in, in the system, right? People yeah. are starting to be like, "Oh, the Americans coming over here," right? And you know, you start to notice uh, you're being treated different. Yeah, for sure. So when I went in there, you know, obviously I was pretty pissed about you know the Russian government like taking me hostage and. Uh, you know, I decided from day one that, you know, okay, like you can put me in prison. I can't like escape out of here, um, but I'm going to do everything I can in my power to fight against, against this whole system. So all of their rules, anything that they wanted me to do, any type of cooperation that they wanted for me, I was like, no, fuck you. And, you know, my thought was that if I did that and I was making problems for them, you know, especially with like the news media and the U.S. government, that maybe they would be so like embarrassed and annoyed about doing that, that in the future they maybe wouldn't take other Americans hostage. Sure. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, I gave them hell. I mean, I fucked with them on everything that I could. I didn't listen to any of their rules. They, once you're convicted, they send you to a forced labor camp. And I was like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to work for you. And they're like, well, then we're going to punish you. I was like, I don't give a fuck if you punish me. That's not going to like change something. Agree. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> four years of punishment. They must not have done their research, you know. So I was like, yeah, I don't fucking care. I'm not going to. That's you punishing me is not going to change shit. Like right. you're not going to like break my willpower by punishing me. So because of that, because of the fact that I was fighting them all the time, that's actually like a special type of prisoner there in Russia who's like fighting the regime and they, you know, they give you basically like a, a special like position for that. 
so that it's called an atkaznik in Russian, which means like a refuser. And, you know, one of the things that they did was they, they sew their own prison uniforms there. Right. So like it's, it's a labor camp where they have like a sewing mill and they sew things for the government. And like one of the main things being like prison uniforms. So a Russian prison uniform is black with like these gray reflectors on it. And they sew those, but they come and like take prisoners. The prisoners themselves go to other prisoners, take their measurements and they go like, okay, we're going to give you like not the shitty issued row, like new ones that are like nice and tailored. So they came and took my measurements and they came back and gave me my uniform, but it didn't have any reflectors. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, did you guys forget some shit? (laughs) And they were like, no, what? That's your, your uniform. And I said, why is it all black? And they said, well, because that's who you are. You're an Akaznik. You're fighting the regime. And I was like, what does that mean? And they're like, well, you're fighting like you're a special type of prisoner. So after that, when you're transferred to like other prisons and you have that all black, you know, uniform on, other prisoners see you there and they're like, oh shit, that guy's fucking hardcore. He's like fighting everything. And, uh, <laughs> You know, because of that, other prisoners are like coming to you and like trying to give you shit. I don't smoke. So, but like guys would be like, oh, here, man, take some cigarettes. And I'm like, oh, no, it's all right. Like, I don't smoke. And I'm like, here, drink some tea. Here, have this, you know. And they like want to support you because you're fighting. So that made, you know, life a lot easier in there for me was, well, made life a lot harder too by fighting the Russian government. But uh, with, with other prisoners, you know, my life was, was actually, you know, improved by that okay so there's lots to unpack there like yeah uh you know what was there any point during up until this this time right Right. that you're like man i like you're afraid for your life like the the things that i'm doing i'm not going to make it out of here so i might as i'm i might as well just make as much noise as i possibly can yeah you know um i mean my health was like consistently deteriorating there so you're, you're getting like no fucking food whatsoever there. And, uh, because of that and the fact that you're like basically immobilized. So you're in a cell for 23 hours a day, uh, when you're in like the holding areas before trial, you know, once I got to forced labor camp because they were punishing me, I was in solitary confinement. So you're there for also 23 hours a day. And there's not like a lot of room to walk in there. Like you have like a tiny, it's like the size of a closet. And, uh, because of that, it's hard to work out also because of the diet, you're like not getting any nutrients whatsoever. So my health started to deteriorate. I was getting sick. Also, there's COVID, all those things going on. Um, I was exposed to TB also, which I thought I had actually, because for about three months I started to cough up blood and the Russians were scared of like admitting that. So they refused to send me to a hospital to get like a diagnosis. And during that time I was like, okay, well, like if I don't get some medical treatment, I'm going to die. So I guess I'll go on a hunger strike. That's like the only thing you could do to like cause attention uh, to your case. So I did that. And obviously that hurt my health a lot as well. And, uh, yeah, there were some points in there where I was like, well, shit, like I may not make it like, but that wasn't going to change anything for me. I was like, okay, well, I may die of starvation, but they're not going to break me. Right. Like I'm, 
I fucking, if I die, I die, but I fucking didn't, like, they didn't break me. I still fucking won. So, right, right, right. Um, you know, it didn't, didn't affect, like, my fight. I never was going to, like, rethink fighting. I was like, okay, I'm in a fight, and then if, like, I die from that, fucking whatever, like, they'll definitely not kidnap any Americans after that shit happens. <laughs> so. Now, when you were going through the hunger strike, we're... Were other prisoners bringing you food and things of that nature? Like they, they all, they obviously knew all this was happening, right? Yeah, yeah, they, uh, they definitely knew that was happening. And every chance that I had to, to go back to like the barracks, mm -hmm. uh, they put you in solitary confinement for fifteen days, and then after that they let you go for a day. They should do that by Russian law. They don't always do that, um, but for that one day that I would have back, or that two days, or whatever it was. They, the other prisoners there were like, oh man, like eat all of our food. And they would just like throw me all of this food. Yeah. Obviously one day every two weeks is not really enough to like sustain you, but it definitely helped. And they, they were like extremely concerned. They, all of them told me to, they were like, Hey man, if you keep fighting like this, you're going to die. Like you won't make it through your, your prison sentence. And, and how long was that sentence? It was nine years. So nine they, years. yeah, they, they have, uh, they're like article for fighting police that have two separate ones. So there's one that's like you fought police and they're not seriously injured. And then there's like you fought police and you caused serious injury or like the possibility of death. Right. And on the first one, which is like regular assault on police, you know, you have one to five years in prison for that. Or actually zero to five years in prison. And on the second level, like basically like attempted murder of police you have from zero to 10 years in prison. Right. But in reality, if you get charged with the second level of that, like the hard one, you're going to get like probably three years maximum. And uh, if you like attacked a cop, stabbed him with a knife, he's like bleeding out, goes to the hospital and they save him, you're going to get like probably six years. So when they gave me nine years for like supposedly like hitting one cop in the in the like uh, belly and his body armor and then like tearing an epaulet on the uniform of another one. That was the biggest sentence that they ever handed down in Russia for assault on police. And yeah, so I was like, okay, they didn't even try to make that realistic. They right. just were like, yeah, we're, this is really bad. You know, here you go. And then you have guys who like almost killed cops actually. Right. Like where there's video evidence and stuff. Like they actually did this. And they're like, yeah, I did that. And they're like, yeah, you know, here's like six, six years. Months. Yeah, here's, <laughs> here's five years. Here's three. So the system there is completely corrupt. And like, you know, I have video evidence in court. Like I showed, you know, they claimed that first that I fought police in the police station. And because my girlfriend was there, they were like, oh shit, there's like witness here. So they went back and they said that all 30 cameras in the police station were not working at the time when I was in there. It's a death scene episode. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they all malfunctioned at the same time and shut down. And uh, then they said, no, no, he attacked police in the police car on the way to the police station. They lost control of the police car. It almost flipped over, caused an accident. Like the police are very lucky to be alive. So my defense team went out and got videos from the road. I said, okay, let me get video from inside the police car. And they're like, oh no, we're not going to give you that. So my attorneys went and got that video from the road, like from the roadway, like traffic cameras. Right. 
and showed that none of that shit happened. Right. So then we go to court and everyone sees that there's journalists, there's a prosecutor judge, like my parents were there. Everyone sees right. this. They were like, yeah, that shit didn't happen. And the judge even asked the cops, he was like, uh, how do you guys explain this? And they're like, what? He was like, it's clearly right there. Yeah. He was like, it's clear in this video that none of this shit happened. Right. And they're like, well, because he attacked me, maybe I was scared and I imagined that that happened because of the stress. And so everyone just burst out laughing. Like the judge also was laughing at this. But uh, the next day when I should get sentenced, it was like a different man came in there. So the judge came in. He's holding his little sentence here, right. shaking. He wouldn't look at me. He wouldn't look at any of the cameras. And he goes, you know, blah, 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 nine years. And then just discredited all, literally all evidence in the case. He was like, I don't accept any evidence that's here except what the police said right. the last time. Like, not the first two testimonies. I also don't accept those. The last testimony they gave, that's what I used. Like, you're guilty to go to prison. For the one years. where he imagined it? Yeah. Well, yeah. They were... <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of imaginary injuries. Yeah. Uh, so what were what you feeling at this time? Like, you had to be like, what in the fuck is well, going on? Like, you uh, know, my life is over. Yeah. And I knew that, like, that was going to happen. So as soon as I saw FSB agents, I was like, okay, I'm screwed. I'm going to prison for like 10 or 20 years. But I was caught off guard that they allowed press in there. Because I was like, okay, like everyone sees that this is just like a total clown show that right. you guys just made this shit up. And I expected them to kind of hide that, but I just underestimated how much the Russian government doesn't give a fuck about sure. like... Is this like a judge, Russian Judge Judy shit? Yeah, <laughs> they, exactly. They just don't give a shit. So they were like, okay, well you know, here you go, you're guilty. And I was like, how are they going to like play this? Because there's like Literally, there's news crews videotaping every, like, you know, court right. hearing. Right. And uh, so that surprised me. But, like, when they convicted me, I was just like, oh, like, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, but, right. you know, my, my parents and my girlfriend, obviously, they were, like, pretty distraught about that. An FSB agent, right? It is the, uh, the remnants uh, of the old KGB. Yeah. Right? And we can you know, strike an imaginary you know, images of what that looks like, right? Yeah. But in your opinion, like, what were the caliber of the SF, FSB? What, why, why did you have that emotional response when you knew that they were involved? Like, did they, is it, is it the enigma behind the FSB or were these like really menacing dudes that like looked like they were going to kick the shit out of you and your life was over? Uh, I mean, they did look like that, but yeah, I think it was more just like the, the whole, you know, like history of the FSB, KGB, like they don't, FSB is not showing up to like, like, oh, this guy assaulted police or this guy has like, you know, you know, an ounce of marijuana or something. They don't go to that shit. Right. The FSB is there if they want to do something political. So like just by them being there and showing up, I was like, okay, I'm screwed now. So, so. And, and during this, uh, all this time in court, you're being represented by the same attorney that came to you. No, so that that attorney came there like initially for the first day, uh, just as like help, like he just worked for free. And after that, he left, and I got two attorneys from the same law firm that were like high ranking, high level uh, attorneys, which doesn't matter there. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. So, 
And did they did they ever come and visit you when you were in the prison? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they came. They would go discuss like what we're going to do in court. You know, we always had to whisper and stuff because we we're afraid that they have like microphones right. or whatever, and they're like trying to like base their prosecution off of our like defense plans. And uh, so they would come see me every once in a while, probably like. Maybe like once every week, every two weeks, maybe, yeah. and uh, discuss like upcoming stuff for court. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was nice to just like be able to talk to somebody, but the whole time I was like, well, was pretty much, you guys are useless, but, you know, yeah. I guess this is part of the process. And my goal, like, by having those attorneys and like fighting all that and having a defense wasn't like, I wasn't trying to, to like win a Russian court, right? It's not like here where you're like, oh, I'll go here and like win court and then they'll release me. It's Russia. So I was like, yeah, I know I'm going to prison anyway, but I wanted to show the United States that I was innocent, like so that Americans would know like, hey, this is fucking BS. Uh, not because I thought that the United States was going to do anything to help, but because I thought that whenever I came back, you know, at least I could hold my head high and say like, yeah, that was you know, political, I didn't do that. Sadly, I must say that I was not familiar with the story at all. Yeah. Right? Uh, I think, you know, there's a countless number of Americans, which we'll get, we'll get into a little bit later here, uh, that are experiencing the same thing. They're still there. Some of them being, you know, in penitentiary longer than you. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, that's, you know, so when, at what point did the United States government get involved? Yeah, so they... Uh they basically I, I, I should, I should have caveat it with, with people there being uh, longer than you. Yeah. Why? Why did they pick you? Uh -huh. Yeah. So, basically, um, I mean, it, regarding like government involvement in that, right? So the State Department sends like their, uh, what is it called? It's like citizen services. Mm -hmm. You know, like their their State Department personnel, they'll send like a guy out and he'll come like check on you. Um, usually if you're in there for like a legitimate crime, like you actually committed a crime or whatever, they're there just to make sure that like your human rights aren't being abused and like those sorts of things. Like are people torturing you? Are you being like starved to death? Are people beating you? Um, but in my case, you know, from the beginning, uh, just because of like the initial evidence that, you know, my family and my girlfriend gave them, they were like, okay, yeah, we see that something fishy here is going on. So they had uh, a state department employee come see me about once a month. And they didn't like the U S government didn't really take any like direct action at that point yet. But after I was convicted, you know, Ambassador Sullivan, so the U.S. ambassador to Russia, he came out immediately after the court and he made a statement that said, like, this was a sham trial. This is BS. This guy's clearly innocent. Like, release him immediately. And uh, that's when the U.S. government started to, like, pick things up and actually, like, get, get involved. So in your time in this, the prison system, did you interact with other Americans? Like, did you come across them? Did you share stories? Yeah, I had heard uh, when I was in the initial, like, holding facility that there had been another American there, um, but that he had already been transferred. And then right in the last month that I was in that, like, pre-trial detention facility, um, 
I met one American there, and I saw him only once before they transferred me to prison camp. So I saw him in there, and he was in there for like uh, using like a fake credit card or whatever. Twenty five years. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. So for that, like an actual crime, they were just like, yeah, here's like you know two years or whatever. Yeah. So this case was not really political at all. He was a dual national, so. They were like, do you want to use the U.S. embassy or this other country's embassy? He was, and they said, you know, we don't recommend the American one. And he was like, yeah, I want to use this other one. So because of that, probably, you know, he didn't have any problems. So yeah, they were yeah. just like, okay, here's like, you know, two years or whatever. So that was the only American that I saw in there. I did see when I was in the hospital at prison, uh, like, labor camp. They sent me to the hospital for for something, and uh, while I was there, I did meet one other American named James Wilgus. And to be honest with you, I think he's probably also being wrongfully detained. Um, and I've brought his name up also, like previously in the news media, but they, they didn't air it. So, but uh, yeah, which is kind of scary because actually, once I met him, I realized that like the number of like official hostages and wrongfully detained that the United States has on their big list, it's probably missing there like a lot of Americans who are actually wrongfully detained, but they haven't made it to that list yet. So, you know, the the U.S. State Department definitely needs to like take a closer look at that and see like, okay, we need to like go back and look at these cases, especially in countries, you know, like Venezuela, Russia, China, you know, Iran. Like any Americans who are in prison there, you need to take a look at that case and go like, is something, you know, not right here? Because that's what they do there. You know, it's, that's, they're like basically a gang who has nuclear weapons. That's the only difference. Right. So, right. That makes sense. So the State Department uh, is now involved. Right. They, you know, they're coming out and they're visiting you. The ambassador's involved. You got the attention. Um, you know, there's other Americans there. Right. And then they finally say, we're taking you out. Right. So what happens then? Yeah, that thing was just completely crazy. So I was at the hospital at that point. Um, and how much weight did you lose at that point? Yeah, I weighed about, well, they, a couple of days before I came home, they sent me to an FSB uh, prison. And this is so weird, but that FSB prison had better food than all of the other prisons that I was in. And they gave me a lot of it. I actually thought that they might be getting ready to kill me. So like, <laughs> fed you up. Yeah, I thought they were like giving me like the last meals or whatever before they like killed me. I thought they might be trying to like, you know, send the U.S. message or whatever. Um, so when they started feeding me that, I was like, okay, well, like, I guess this is it. Right. <laughs> but but uh, they fed me like a lot of food and like pretty well for prison, good quality food um, for like a few days before I came back. And when I came back, I weighed 130 pounds. So you went in right around over 200, right? No, about 175. Yeah. So, but uh, I probably was significantly less weight, you know, before those like few days where they're actually feeding me because before that I was eating like, basically nothing. So probably weighed significantly less. What was that? And what was the, the 
an average meal that you're getting? Yeah, it was, uh, so in the morning you have the same thing every day. So it's like cream of wheat. There's like a, I don't know what you would call it, like a chunk of bread. There's tea and, and that's it actually. So for breakfast, that's that. For lunch, there's either cabbage or potato soup, which that could be like mostly just like water with like some potatoes or some cabbage floating in it. And then uh, you have cabbage or potato salad, which is just like sliced potatoes or cabbage or whatever. This this is all, just so you know, they call this sour cabbage because all of it's rotten. <laughs> you probably get, you know, dysentery. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the time. And, uh, but you get used to it after a while. Sure. So, yeah. It's the <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that, there's pluses and everything. Sure. And uh, then the meat, they're supposed to give you meat in, uh, at the lunch like portion, but they steal all of the meat. So like the, the prison officials, they steal the meat and then they take it to like the farmer's market and they sell it and then they pocket the cash. So you'll get like a little bit of meat, but it's like, it's like a chicken bone with like some strings of meat, like attached to it. Right. And you, you basically get like what, like they strip the meat to sell. And then you get like the bones that have like some meat, like sure. hanging off them or whatever. So you get that and there's tea again. Or like this vegetable juice kind of thing, but without any sugar. Um, I guess it'd be like a vegetable broth type deal is like your drink. Then at dinner, there's bread, some type of cabbage or uh, potatoes. Like and then there's fish. And the fish, there's three types of fish. So one fish is like a whole fish that's like, I guess it's like baked or something. And you just like peel open the stomach and then you just eat the meat off the sides. Like you ever see Lord of the Rings? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's like one of those fishes. Okay. So you just eat that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, then like a bait fish. Yeah. <laughs> like a bait fish. Exactly. Like a big minnow basically. Yeah. And then there's another kind where it's like basically like a slice of fish, but it's like salted. Okay. So they don't cook it because it costs like too much or whatever. So they just like submerge the stuff in salt water and that's supposed to like kill the parasites, I guess. I don't know if it does, but, uh, no one ate that except for me. So yeah, other, other prisoners were like, what the fuck are you really going to eat that? And I was like, yeah, that's the only protein we have. Like, of course I'm going to eat it. And they're like, oh man, that shit's nasty. Like you're going to have an upset stomach. Don't eat that. One time I tried, there's like feral cats there, right? <laughs> So one time I tried to feed this cat, like, cause the cats were like begging for food too. I'm like, fuck, I don't have any food. So I'm like, okay, here's like this piece of fish. And this cat just like went up and sniffed it. And then it just looked at me like, fuck you. <laughs> like, are you serious? This is what you're offering me? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the cats don't even eat that. Then uh, the other type of fish is like this, uh, like uh, fish patty and uh, pressed fish. Yeah, it's like a like a crabby patty or whatever, but it's got like you know bones like like crushed into it. Oh, so yeah, so that's not enjoyable either. So basically, that's that's what every day's food is. There's no variance in the menu. Every day is the same. Did you know the Grunt Style Foundation serves our military and veteran communities with everything they need to get on track, no matter their circumstances, from alternative medicine, mental health support 
career resources, combating homelessness, food insecurity, and more. We are partisans for our community and will remain so with your support. Donate today, and together, we will drive positive changes we desperately need. Someone has to, and we're stepping up. Are you? Visit www.grunstylefoundation.org and support a veteran today. Yeah, holy shit, man. Yeah, man, holy shit. That's so, not, not good. So, I think you know, we're getting to this part, the part of the story that I, I found to be the most fascinating, right? Um, and it's the prisoners. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is like straight out of a bomb flick. Yeah, that right? shit was wild. And, uh, man, so this this stuff still happens today, right? It's, it's unbelievable to me uh, at, uh, in the 21st century. Um, the style of, uh, you know, <laughs> modern prisoner swap is happening. But uh, you were, so the, the master starts setting all this up, right? And then you get on a plane, right? Yeah, so they, I knew something was going on ahead of time because the mafia told me that. So they were like, hey, you're going back to America, man. And I was like, no, I'm not. And they're like, Wait a second, let me pause the story. So the mafia knew before yes. you did that you were going back. Yes, exactly. But the mafia can't figure out how to get more meat in their food when they run the prison system. Correct, yes. <laughs> okay. So It's getting based here. Yeah. So they, I guess, and I asked about that too late because they're like, you're going home. And I was like, no. And they're like, yeah, you are. The head of this like medical facility said that you've got like orders to Moscow and you're going home. And I was like, eh, it sounds kind of like, I don't know. But, uh, you know, after that, they transported me to Moscow. And I was like, okay, like maybe that's actually going to happen. I spent a couple of days in the, in the FSB prison there. And then they said, you know, <laughs> I forgot about this. They wanted me to sign a, par a pardon, right? So they're like, President Putin has decided, decided to pardon you. And I was like, great, thanks. And they're like, yeah, just to go ahead and like sign this pardon. And I'm like, okay, so I start reading it and like, it's in like legal, like terminology. So like one part I didn't understand. I was like, what does this part say? And he's like, it says like, you're being pardoned and you're going back to America. And I was like, I was like, no, it fucking doesn't. I was like, what does this word mean? And he was like, that you are going home. And I was like, don't bullshit me. Like, I know this word is like, I was like, what is this, regret? And he's like, yes. And I was like, so what does this say? I regret that I've committed a crime and I promise not to commit further crimes. And this guy was like, yes, he's the warden of the pr prison. He's like, yes. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to fucking sign that. Right. So I give it back to him and he looks at me and he just goes, don't you want to go home? And I said, I'm not going to fucking sign this. This fucking lie. This says that I admit my guilt. Yeah. Like, fuck you. I'm not signing it. Right. So I leave. <laughs> Then they call me back and long story short, basically the U.S. government was like, go ahead and sign that. So I did sign that. And uh, after that, they transferred me. And after that, early in the morning, an FSB convoy team came and got me in their cry precision multicam combat suits, which I was like... <laughs> Are you using American like camouflage? No, we get from China. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I even asked the guy there on the FSB team. I was like, "Is that?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "But?" And he goes, "He knew I was going to ask. Is it fake, right?" And he goes, "No, no, no." And he like shows me the tag from Cry Precision. He goes, 
probably it's a Russian company, yes? <laughs> right, right, right. I was like, yeah, I don't fucking think so, man. So, now, do you think if you did sign the pardon, would what happens next? Would that would have would that have have happened, or would they just put you back in the? In the you know. I don't know, but I think that they probably, because it was like an international agreement or whatever, I think they probably wouldn't have given a shit. I yeah. think they would have just been like, okay, whatever, fuck that guy. Like, let's do this. Okay. But I don't know. They made like a big deal out of it, so maybe they would have kept me. I don't know. Um, I mean, in like a country whose like justice system doesn't exist, I think like probably they're not too concerned about those like pieces of legal paperwork. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, I did think about that. I was like, under right, right. If they would have kept me there, I don't know. So this convoy team takes me to an airport, and you know, at the airport, we're waiting there. There was like twenty FSB dudes get on this FSB jet. I was like, oh shit, that's like a big fucking jet. So, you know, they take me, put me in there. They're like, okay, sit down. And I was sitting like in the middle with the convoy team and then all the suits were like up in the front, like first class or whatever, with the waitresses and stuff, stewardesses, I don't know what they're called now, flight attendants, sorry, but I don't want to offend anyone. So, but uh, they're all up there, we start flying and I'm like, uh, all right, so I'm like looking out the window and I can see the coastline and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure we're flying through like the Mediterranean somewhere. I was like, I knew that the airspace was closed because like sanctions and stuff. And I was like, are we flying to Turkey? And the FSB convoy guy like looked at me and he's like, you know, like looked at the suits, like, are they looking? And there weren't suits like, and I was like, okay. So we, we fly over there, we land. And I was thinking like, I didn't know all this shit was going to go down. So I was thinking like, oh, they'll fucking take me to Turkey. Like the U.S. embassy will send someone to come get me. They'll like take me out in a van and I'll just, you know, fly back on like a commercial airline or something. And uh, that's not what happened. So we pull up there, we park, and we're sitting there for like a long ass time. And I see like these like security vans nearby. And I'm like, they're coming and going, the Turks, like security teams. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's the US embassy. And the FSB guys are like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then another one come by, I'd be like, maybe that's them. And they're like, no, nah, it's not them. And I was like, how do you know? And they said, we're, we're waiting for a plane. And I said, you're waiting for a plane? And they were like, yes. And I was like, another plane? And they said, yes, coming from the United States. And I was like, what? what? And they're like, yeah, they're going to pull up next to us. You're going to get out of the plane. We have a guy there. He's going to get out of the plane at the same time. You guys are going to cross each other on the runway and then go get in your own planes. And he told me that. <laughs> fucking Western. <laughs> I know. He told me that and I thought he was fucking with me. And I was just like looking at him. I was like, are you fucking with me? And he was like, no. He's like, I'm dead serious. He said, it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> pretty fucking cool. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, do you feel cool, man? And I was like... Fuck, I don't know. I could I picture this, but what I picture is a guy asking, do you feel cool, man? And he's wearing like a tracksuit, lime green, with a white stripe down the sleeve. Like he's got like an MP5 or some sort. <laughs> some, yeah. some big aviator glasses on. Yeah, man. I, I was like, what? And it, he was like, 
He's like, do you feel cool? And I said, I don't know. And he said, you should feel cool because this plane costs a shitload of money and they don't fly us on these. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So we waited for like a long time. And uh, finally the US plane like pulls up, you know, next to us, parks on the tarmac and <laughs> they sent, this guy's name is Roger Karsten. So he is the ambassador for Spiha, that's special presidential envoy for hostage affairs. So he's like the main guy. And uh, he like came and got out of the American plane and was like walking up to our jet. And I, I said this before in this interview, this is literally what I was thinking. So he's walking up to our jet and I look at him and he's just this big ass dude. He's like, well, he's former military guy. Yeah. Anyway, so he's walking out there and I'm like, man, this dude's fucking like just big and like just a like handsome big dude. And he's like walking up to the plane and I was like, this guy's just going to waste the whole plane and, like, take me off. Let's go down here. So he, like, comes up there, and uh, they're, like, holding me. The FSB guys, they're, like, okay. like And they're, like, holding me in the cabin like this. So he, like, comes in, and, <laughs> and he looks at me, and he goes, Trevor? And I was, like, yeah. He goes, I have to identify I have to identify you. And I was, like, yeah, it's me. And he was, like, not that way. Okay. And he just, like, laughs, left, right? <laughs> yeah. I was, like. <laughs> Oh, what's that number you do? Like the ISO prep number or whatever <laughs> that like no one knows, right? I was like, fuck, was I supposed to remember that from like 10 years ago? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was sitting there like, what was that number again? Like, what were the rules in that? I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm seven. The answer is seven. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there like, is he going to ask me some shit? So I go, yeah, it's me. And he's like, and he just turned around and left. So I was like, well, fuck, like, right. Maybe he thinks it's not me, like, I'm too skinny now. He doesn't, like, know. So he, like, leaves. And I hear the Russians, like, talking to each other. They're like, what's the deal? Like, blah, blah. And they're like, they want a doctor to see him. They don't trust us. And he's like, what do you mean? And they're like, they think he's sick. And they're like, what do you mean sick? We're on the same plane as him. So they're, like, discussing this. And freaking out. Yeah, they're freaking out. And I'm, like, freaking out, too. I'm like, why is he leaving, you know, me in here? And, uh... I've got TV. I've got TV. I've got <laughs> Yeah. So the the head security team guy from the FSB looks at me and he goes, "Are you sure America wants you back?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I, I was just like, "Oh fuck, I hope so." So you know, they go out, they like do some like admin shit or whatever, and then they're like, "Okay, you're like gonna leave right now." So they like take me off the plane with leave the flight nurse or flight medic. And we start walking across the tarmac and here comes Konstantin Yaroshenko walking out with our dudes, you know, and we like walk past each other. I looked at him. I, I, I talked about this before. So he like stopped in the middle of the tarmac to like bullshit with people. Yeah. I was not going to fucking do that. I was right. like, give me in that fucking plane right, right. now. <laughs> I remember what happened when I spent a little too long yeah, exactly. in a place yeah. that I should be. I was, I was not making that mistake <laughs> twice. I was like, okay, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Right. So... Got in there and, you know, had a chat with uh, Spiha guys and uh, all the medical personnel went and checked me out and took like a while, but then it sank in that like that shit was fucking finally over you. I don't know if this is everyone, but like every day that I was in there, it was like you wake up and you wake up every day and you're like, this can't be re like, this isn't real. Like, I, I can't have fucking come here 
to see my fucking girlfriend and then become a fucking political hostage. And I've been in here for three years. Every single day you wake up thinking, I never accepted it. Every day I woke up and I was like, this is like, no, this is a nightmare. Like it can't be real. And you just keep waking up into that nightmare, you know, yeah, yeah. hundreds of times. How did it like, it had to take a toll on your, your psyche, right? Your mental, your mental state. It's hard, but I kind of distracted myself from that. So I tried not to think about like how shitty that was. And instead I thought about like, how can I hurt them? Like, yeah. how can I make them pay? How can I annoy them? How can I just not do what they want me to do? And I focused on that, yeah. you know, and that kind of like drove me to, to not give up hope. I mean, I didn't really have hope of like getting out or even surviving, but you know, I had, the only thing that I had was that I wasn't going to give up. So curiosity, I'm sure is, uh, taking the best of you. Who's the guy they traded you for? Yeah. So this guy, Konstantin Yaroshenko, he's like a fucking real piece of crap. He's a like smuggler for drugs and the U S had him extradited from Africa. Um, I think he was in prison for like 10 years or 11 years in the US and the Russians wanted this guy back for some other reasons also but you know the one that they publicized was that this guy never had set foot in the United States and the United States had him extradited to sit in prison in the US which in some ways that makes sense but in other ways it's kind of like a gray area because he was trafficking drugs, which are like going to the U.S., but not, I don't know that he was directly involved with the U.S. And that was the Russians point is like, well, this guy committed a crime, but not against your country specifically. Right. So like, why did you take him? And they considered that to be political. So, you know, the rumor is that they took, you know, Paul Whelan and myself basically as like retaliation for for him and Victor Boot, which the U.S. also had extradited from Thailand. Sure. For now, did you guys, did these gentlemen have hard military backgrounds? Uh, no, but both of them supposedly have pretty strong ties to the Russian government. Okay. So the oligarchs. Yeah. And whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. So, <laughs> so you, you you made it back to the United States, right? You made it back, and uh, you know, you know. Are you still a member? <laughs> the the no. most important question. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still in the mafia? No, that's that's all in the in the prison. That, you, that did, all stays. Did you prison, uh, so. did you did you make any pen pals over there that you write back to? No. Um, I mean, some guys tried to contact me, and like you know, I feel bad about it, but I can't. You know, be like. Does yeah. the, the State Department say you cannot talk to these people? They didn't say that, but like. You know, I, if I want like a, you know, government job anytime, yeah. probably shouldn't do that. So I don't, uh, don't keep contact with any of them. Uh, man, what an incredible experience. I, I can't say that I've ever met anybody that has such an incredible experience like that. Um, but now you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get others out, right? Yes, sir. Um, and there's a, there's a significant amount of people, right? Oh yeah. Um, you know, and the, the, the country is obviously, uh, you know, you, you can read all the names that you, that, that, that you're going to read right? yeah, sure. and nobody's going to recognize those names. Yeah. It's unfortunately, uh, 
But um, but on the flip side of that, you know, there's one name that everybody's talking about right now, right? And you know, for the wrong reasons, right? Right. So you know, I want to give you a little bit of time to to opine about that. Like, sure, there's some serious shit that's going down. Yeah. So. <laughs> Obviously, I want Americans to fight to get all Americans who are wrongfully detained out of whatever country they're being wrongfully detained in um, or being held hostage in. But, you know, something that was really difficult for me was leaving Russia without Paul Whelan. So, you know, he had been there longer than me, for about eight months longer than I was. And, you know, when it when all that shit finally went down and I thought like, Oh, like, yeah, they're making an exchange or whatever. When I realized that I asked the FSB guys, I was like, are, did you trade for another American also? Are you also trading for Paul Whelan? And the security team was like, I don't think so. I think you're the only one, but you never know. Like they're Russians and they're like FSB. So I thought they may be lying. Um, but you know, that ended up being the truth and they didn't trade for Paul Whelan. So they didn't get him out, even though he had been there longer than me. And I think that they did that just because of like my, you know, physical, uh, my health was deteriorating, you know, I was basically dying in there. And, uh, I think that because of that, you know, the, the administration, you know, placed like priority on that. They were like, okay, well, we don't want this guy to die, you know? And, uh, they, they made a trade and got me out of there, but, you know, they left Paul Whelan in there who had been there longer, which, you know, I think is, is wrong, obviously. And I feel guilty about that. that they did that. Obviously I didn't have like a choice in that, but, um, that tears me up that he's still there because I know what he's going through. And uh, what's, the, what's the connection between you and Paul? Why, why Paul and not, you know, Mark? Or you know any of any of the other individuals? No, just uh, just the fact that Paul was a Marine, yeah. um, and just the fact that he's in Russia. So, you know, any time that you know I had a chance to talk to someone from other prisons, I was like, "Hey, are you? Do you know Paul Whelan? Is Paul Whelan in your prison?" And they would say, "Yeah, you know, he's over there." And I said, "What is he like?" And they said, "He's just like you." He's just fighting the whole time. He's given the government hell. He won't stop. He won't quit. They keep punishing him. He's constantly in solitary confinement. And, you know, that's like another thing that like motivated me to keep fighting was that I knew that, that he was doing that. So, yeah, yeah that's great. And there's right now nothing in the foreseeable future of him getting out of uh, Russia right now. The State Department and the White House have said, you know, multiple times that, you know, all Americans who are wrongfully detained are their priority and they're doing everything they can and they're working on things and they keep reassuring you that, you know, they're doing something. But the fact of the matter is that they were reassuring my parents of that for three years while I was sitting there. And when it came down to it, you know, that decision is made by one man. So the president of the United States decides, does this happen or does this not happen? And when he made that decision, that happened almost immediately. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they wanted to, they could get all of these guys out. And maybe not all of them, but a large, a large majority of all wrongful detainees that are in there, 
they could make deals on most of those and get these guys out. And the, the thing that they don't want to do, and it's all administrations, it's not just this one, but they don't want to make trades because they say that that incentivizes foreign governments to take Americans hostage. So they say, well, we can't just give them what they want or they'll take more Americans hostage. Okay. But that's complete bullshit because if you look with what happened with us, right? So they take Paul Whelan and they say, we will give you Paul back if you give us these guys, the Russians and the United States goes, ah, no. Okay. So, did Russia go, okay, it didn't work. I guess we're not going to take Americans hostage. Fuck no. Right. But they were like, oh, shit, we got another Marine here. Let's fucking <clears> take <throat> this guy too. So they take me. The United States says, oh, yeah, no, we're like not going to make any deals on that. Brittany Griner goes there. They take her as well. So I'm not really seeing here how making a deal incentivizes foreign governments to take hostages if not making deals also incentivizes them to take hostages. They're going to do that anyway. It's, you're not gonna, you're not gonna tell Russia or North Korea or Iran or, or China, like, oh, well, like if we do this deal, they'll take hostages. No, they're going to take hostages anyway. And, uh, that's, you know, to me, that point is just, it's complete bullshit. You know, they're, they're going to take hostages anyway. And you have the ability to get back our people by making an exchange. The other thing they argue is, well, these guys that they want are actual criminals who have like committed a crime in the U S every single president who comes in every single one for a hundred years. Okay. They all have their presidential authority to pardon someone. Every single one of them pardons at least a hundred people or 200 people over their presidency. They go, yeah, these hundred people who committed serious crimes, I pardon you. Wave of the hand. Yeah. This, you know, 600 people, you're pardoned, you're pardoned, you're pardoned. And then when it comes down to, will you let this criminal go to get an American back? They go, oh, fuck no. Right. That guy's a serious criminal. You just let a hundred criminals go. <laughs> right. And you didn't get shit for that. Right. And here's an American. Well, they got that, votes and they got lobby money yeah, and they got all that. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the deal too, which is what is important here is like the government doesn't do anything without the people pushing it to. Yeah. And, you know, if we look at like Russia right now with our Americans who are there, so we have Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner, right? So Brittany Griner, obviously she's got a lot of things going for her, which are like extremely popular in the news media. Okay. So she's like headlines every day and she's been there for a few months. I want her to get out too, just so you know. And I do think that that's political, like what they're doing there. Um, but the deal is, is all of that media attention is going to her and she has these support groups. So she's got like the NAACP, She's got, you know, the WNBA, all these people are speaking out for all of these groups and that causes, you know, media attention for one part and that causes pressure on the administration to do something, right? And the thing that I want to see is, you know, we have in the United States millions of veterans, just tens of millions of veterans in the U.S. And if all of those veterans came together to speak out for our veterans who are being held illegally overseas, being wrongfully detained or being held hostage, you know, that's going to put extreme pressure on, on the administration to do something. And 
I think that that's really the only way that that's going to force the administration to act is by having that pressure uh, to do that. So, yeah. and, and I, I agree with you. You know, seeing how you know the political machine in the United States works. Yeah, uh, you've been on Capitol Hill doing a bunch of different stuff, and you know, getting to see behind the curtain. Right, you can't make any. Uh, you know, movement in this country without getting a groundswell of support uh, behind yeah. you uh, to make things move, and you know that's that's unfortunate, but it's the rules of the game, right? Um, you know, but but I guess the thing that really upsets me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sh- I think I'm sharing this with you is that you know it's an individual like Brittany uh, that you know uh, you know if if it wasn't uh, for her being a female superstar and a uh, person of color, she would just be another name on this list. Yeah, that's definitely... And that's uh, the problem, right? Is there, there, and Russia is just one circumstance here. Right. Right? There are Americans all across this planet, for whatever reasons, that are being held uh, against their will in political systems, uh, in, in um, prisons, mm-hmm. you know, um, and nobody knows their name. And they'll Absolutely. probably die there, uh, be forgotten about, and their families will continue to petition uh, the United States government long after they're dead because they probably don't know they're dead, right? And we'll continue the cycle. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, the State Department and their little groups of individuals say, well, we're doing our best. Right. We're doing our best. Well, your best is not good enough. Right. And, and that's where, you know, I wanted to share this platform with you to give you a larger voice, right? Because I think it is our veterans. We talk about this a lot within our podcast here in American Grid. It is our veterans that are going to change the way that we do things in the United States. Right? Because you know we are one of the largest groups of individuals in this country. If we're talking about you know uh, cohorts, right, and, and uh, you know it's over thirty million. Yeah, right. We have a significant voice. We 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 are the doctors. We are the carpenters. We are the the pilots. We are all these people, right? It's time for us to really start wielding this 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 capital, if you will, absolutely. You know, in a way that we can say, hey, you know what, our values are unchecked, right? You know, what we believe in is is, is, is pretty founded in, in the beliefs of what this country is. And, you know, uh, take it, we need to be taken seriously, right? We're not, we're not gonna stand for this anymore. We're not gonna let Americans get snatched up for trumped up charges that, you know, uh, you know as part of a kangaroo court and yada, yada, yada. Uh, but until we do that, I don't think anything's going to change. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, uh, I think that it's critical that, you know, veterans go out and and make waves and you have to do that, you know, by contacting your representatives, your congressmen, your senators. And, you know, though, and they did this in my case, too. So I had countless, you know, supporters like Marines who I had served with or contractors who I, I, you know, had worked with. And they went and wrote their congressmen or called them or their senators and said, you know, hey, you need to help this guy. And their favorite response is, oh, well, he's from Texas. He's not my constituent. Right. Yeah. But I am your fucking constituent. And this is an issue that's important to me. Right. So if you don't go and do this, I'm going to get all of my veteran buddies to vote you out of office. Right. And that's what needs to happen for them to be able to act. So, um, I mean, there's, uh, you know, dozens of Americans who are being, uh, wrongfully detained and held hostage. Um, just to, like go into some detail on that wrongfully detained is when a government takes you hostage basically. And 
a hostage is someone who's like a terrorist group, an extremist organization, a criminal organization, so not a government. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a list here of, of veterans who right now are wrongfully detained or held hostage or are detained basically under like extremely questionable circumstances. Uh, if I could go ahead and please share. Yeah. So Austin Tice, uh, he's a former United States Marine Corps captain. He has been in Syria for 10 years. He's being held there by, you know, the last time it was publicly announced was by a, it's like a pro government, like militia there. Mm -hmm. So maybe not directly the government, but they have strong ties to the government. Um, and they're asking for certain things, which the United States probably could do to get him out. Uh, Jermaine Rogers, he's a detainee. He's not officially wrongfully detained, um, but he's a U.S. Army vet and a contractor in Kuwait. Paul Whelan, we've already discussed, so he's in Russia. He's been there for three and a half years. Obviously, he needs to get out there immediately. Uh, Mark Frerichs, he's a wrongful detainee and a contractor, a U.S. Navy vet. Um, he's been in Afghanistan for two and a half years. So... That one especially pissed me off because the United States has gone and made, you know, all of these agreements with the Taliban after we've left Afghanistan. And they did that while they're holding an American veteran hostage there. How the fuck do you do that? How do you go? Oh, yeah, we'll go ahead and agree with you on this. No, fuck that. As long as you're holding American veterans hostage, we're not going to agree with you on anything. You let him go, and then we'll talk. Mm -hmm. Or we'll give you something, and then you let him go. But we're not just going to do what you want and then keep our guy there. That's right. that's unacceptable to me. Uh, Matthew Heath, he's a detainee. He's a United States Marine Corps vet in Venezuela. He's been there for 1.8 years. Luke Dinman, detainee, U.S. Army vet, Venezuela, 1.8 years. Uh, Aaron Barry. Detainee, U.S. Army vet, Venezuela, 1.8 years. You know, Russia is pretty bad, like prisons there. But Venezuela, you know, that's literally like a third world, mm -hmm. like third way third government. world. They're under a third government that has collapsed in the last 10, 15 years. Right. And they, they've been torturing them, electroshocking them, waterboarding them, all that stuff. Um, Ridge Alconis, he's not officially wrongfully detained, but, but he is wrongfully detained in reality. So he's a U.S. Navy lieutenant who was stationed in Japan. He was with his family hiking, I think it was Mount Fuji. And when they got done with their hike and they were driving home, he lost consciousness. They think because of like the altitude mm -hmm. differences. So he lost consciousness lost control of his vehicle, obviously, he was unconscious, and he hit another car, which killed a couple of people. But he went and asked for them to investigate, like, medically, all of these things, and the Japanese government refused to do that because those people who died in that car crash are related to someone who works in the Japanese government. Hmm. So they went to trial, ignored all of that evidence, you know, played games, gave him a kangaroo court pretty similar to the ones that they have in Russia sure. and said, here you go. You have, you know, three years in prison. I think he also paid a million dollars in like reparations right. to that family. Would you call the Kabuki theater? <laughs> <laughs> you could say that. And it, 
you know, the U.S. government apparently has been pretty quiet about that. So if you want to talk about hostages that are, you know, in Syria or you want to talk about, you know, wrongful detainees in Russia, yeah, there's like some work that has to be done to get those guys out. But this guy is literally in Japan, which is supposed to be our friends. Mm -hmm. That should take one phone call in like five minutes to get that guy out. So why that hasn't been done yet, I don't know. Um, Obviously, we have two Americans who are being held as prisoners of war in, you know, in Ukraine. Uh, so they're fighting there with, with the Ukrainians and they're captured by, by Russian troops. So they're being given a fake trial and they're being sentenced to death against the Geneva Conventions. They did not give them a prisoner of war status, even though they rate that under the UN. And uh, I think that's probably going to continue to happen. Russia obviously doesn't respect the rule of law. They're committing war crimes in Russia. They're taking American citizens hostage. Um, so I think that's going to continue to happen. Uh, just diving into that a little bit, the Ukraine thing. So I actually have several buddies who are uh, on the ground right there now. Um, just for everyone's info out there, if you want to help, if you're interested in that, you want to help the Ukrainians, uh, you know, kind of escape the horror that Russia has brought onto them. There's a, there's a thing called Operation Playground, which is a humanitarian aid and veteran-run uh, organization formed to provide humanitarian aid into the hardest-hit areas of Ukraine and providing secure passage of aid and refugees. Uh, they're working with community officials and with disaster relief organizations. They're all veteran-ran. Um, they're networking to deliver life-saving goods, help rebuild playgrounds and children's outlooks for the future, and helping provide sanctuary areas for the development and growth and healing process from the most heinous, atrocious acts of aggression and war crimes perpetrated by the Russians. Um, so if you want to donate, you can uh, go look up Operation Playground and uh, there will be you know, an NGO over there that you can donate to to, to assist in that. And... Uh, that's that for, for those things. Yeah. So I imagine, or I take it that, um, the work that you're involved in now is bringing these other veterans home, right? Yeah, well, I, I hope that it will. Um, I obviously am trying to be more uh, public now, so I was kind of waiting there a little bit mm-hmm. before criticizing the administration because I wanted to see some results. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think enough time has gone by to where it's pretty clear that they're not doing everything that they could be doing. And they definitely need to step it up, in my opinion. I think that they're not doing their jobs and that they need to start actually working to get Americans <clears> home. <throat> yeah, absolutely. Definitely agree. And I think it's, I think it's a good mission. And, you know, I think getting this information out in front of uh, more people and, and getting people involved and listening to this uh, you know, is, is, is absolutely very important because, you know, as we think about this, there, you know, this is just a very small list, right? There are probably far more, right? You know, oh, yeah. That, uh, the gentleman in Iran, right. right? Former Marine and FBI that, you know, he's been there for a long time and nobody knows that this guy's still alive. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, they actually have the Levinson Act, you know, which is named after him. And, uh, that's the same thing. So, I mean, it, there's just countless veterans out there who, 
who are in these situations. And unfortunately, you know, largely the U.S. news media doesn't want to cover that. So if you want to get coverage for these guys, you have to go out, you have to make waves, you have to contact your representatives and you have to to annoy them uh, to get them to do their jobs. That's right. That's right. You got to make it uncomfortable yeah, for these people. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, what they're involved in is, you know, increasing their own personal wealth and lording over the people and not doing their real job. Which right. is representing the constituents of the United States. And, you know, I, I hear it all too often. You know, well, you know, um, that person is part of the part of the state of Mississippi and I don't represent Mississippi. Right. They'll reach across the freaking aisle and, and find a way to get it done. Exactly. And that's that's what we need to be thinking about. But it brings me back to something that we always talk about here on American Grid, and that's nobody's coming to help. And we have to do we have to manufacture our own success. Uh, and I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, our cohort, our our community is stronger and larger than most people think. And you know, we can be that change as veterans. Uh, we can carry the banner. We can be the the example for everybody around us and saying, this is what good looks like. And, you know, we're going to do the hard work and the hard work means, you know, you have to get a little dirty. You have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, but you know, when it comes to Americans lives, I think that is all stuff that we should be doing on a daily basis. Uh, so Trevor, you know, I want to say thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, this is the second time I've got to hear it. And it's funny you're the second time around. Uh, because I, I just find it absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm glad you're still with us. I'm glad you were able to make it out of, of that situation. And I, uh, I'm, I'm extraordinarily proud uh, to see that you're willing to uh, you know, put your put your life into a position of helping other individuals right, that, uh, you know, that are finding themselves in these situations. So uh, if you something, uh, something that you guys are interested uh, as you're listening to this, uh, where do people find you and which and, and the work that you're doing? I mean, if you want, you can go uh, onto my Twitter. I think that's Trevor Rowdy Reed, uh, at Trevor Rowdy Reed, not sure. But uh, I go and uh, I post on there regularly, you know, multiple times a day. Uh, anything that pops up on my screen about Americans who are wrongfully detained, especially veterans. And uh, if you want more info about that or how you can help, you could just go ahead and send me a DM there and I'll respond. Fantastic. Well, we'd love to have you back on the show. And uh, next time we'll talk about how many people that you've, you've brought home or you've been involved in bringing back to the United States. And I'm excited to hear that story, my friend. Uh, and if there's anything that we can do to help you on this journey, uh, you know, all you have to do is ask. We'll be here to help. I thank you just to thank you for having me so much, man. Simplify, my friend. Simplify. And ladies and gentlemen, that will end this another episode of American Grit. Uh, as always, drink water, wash your hands, and change your socks, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you again on the next one. The Grunt Style Foundation is moving forward with purpose. Thanks to support from members of the community like you, we have begun to turn the tide in the fight against toxic exposure, PTSD, and veteran homelessness, among other things. This is a fight some people don't believe can or should be fought. Respectfully, they can sit on a cactus and spin. We are in this for our brothers and our sisters, so the challenge is accepted. Let's be the change we need. Somebody has to be. Visit www.gruntstylefoundation.org and donate today.